This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Welcome in to episode 222 of Film Tank. As per usual, Alex Diekman here, live with you. With you. Living with you? With you, along with Nick Cheney. Palindrome! That's my palindrome alert every time our episode number is a palindrome. Okay. I feel like I point it out every time we have one, but I'm going to continue to do it. We haven't I've had many, obviously. What do you mean we haven't had many? Of a palindrome? Well, there's two, two, two. Wait, oh, wait, you've never heard of what? Palindrome? No, I've never heard you shout it at the beginning of oh, the episode. Well, I've never, I've never had the official, term. this Sorry. is like my christening <laughs> of the alarm bell, so to speak. <sighs> but I feel like I, it is a recurring thing in which I s- somehow always like to point it out for whatever reason. And you have done it yet again. Yes, I have. Yes. Speaking of <laughs> things we've done again and again. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that there was some weird bit in between there because I'm like, oh boy, this is going off the rails. Uh, Another thing that we enjoy doing on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Hello. (laughs) Who's that? She's already said full sentences. You're talking full sentences now. I've graduated from the single words. (laughs) Oh, good for you. What is that accent? I don't know. But I ain't got to stop now. Sounds like a grown-up Republican Steve Urkel. You know, uh, whoa! Uh, in the nineteen seventeen in the nineteen seventeen well. episode where our mystery guest was also on, <laughs> we haven't introduced her yet, True. but was also on. Uh, that was when I very randomly called it the Oscars. <laughs> the Oscars. Anyway, uh, uh, so our friend Sam has joined us yet again. Uh, I mean, hello again. At this hello. point, you are not even really a guest; you are just a regular on the podcast. So I, that. I demote you back to guest. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we're gonna have a vote later. Let me just take my name tag <laughs> yeah. off. Let's not get carried So anyways, Sam, thank you very much for joining us again. Thanks for having me again. Uh, and it, as per usual, <laughs> what a dick, uh, as per usual, thank um, you. <laughs> um, you picked the film for uh, this episode, and this was a film that you picked had... a good one this time. <laughs> what an asshole. Oof. <laughs> Oof is right. <laughs> Uh, you had mentioned this a couple months ago that you were interested in doing a episode on the film The Invisible Man, which is uh, not really a remake. It's more just yeah. taking the idea from the Universal film from the 1930s 
and sort of having its own spin on it. So thank you for picking this. Yeah, you're I think welcome. we'll uh, we'll enjoy talking about it on this episode. Good discussion. Please. So um, 2020's The Invisible Man centers around um, Cecilia and when her abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. Now, wait a minute, there's more. Democratic hoax. <laughs> Aren't they all? Uh, as a series of coincidences coincidences turn lethal cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see so the film was directed and written by lee winnell who's been um more busy recently i would say uh as he has uh directed uh in the last couple years um upgrade and now The Invisible Man. His first uh, directorial film was actually in 2015 with Insidious Chapter 3, which I've never seen. Mm. Um, but I would venture to say he's been doing good work, as I thought yeah. Upgrade was underrated. Yep. And um, I think we'll all have pretty positive things to say about um, The Invisible Man. So anyways, he's back uh, with this project, directing this. Uh, and this actually has been in development for quite a while. Uh, it was originally to be part of the Universal Monsters universe, which totally was canceled after that mummy incident with Tom we Cruise. almost got this movie starring Johnny Depp. Not literally this movie, because I don't think Lee Winnell was attached until it made the move to uh, Blumhouse, because yeah. he's in their house right now. <laughs> literally. Uh, but yeah, no. So, yes. So... It obviously ends up on Lee Winnell's lap, uh, and he does the job and gets a gets a big star in it. Uh, as Elizabeth Moss is playing the main character, Cecilia, uh, in this film, and really there are some people that people may recognize, but Oliver Jackson Cohen and Harriet Dyer, Aldous Hodge, and Storm Reed, all not necessarily household names. No. Although Storm Reed was the main character in that A Wrinkle in Time film that came out a few years ago that looked just awful. Oh, she the daughter? Saw. Yeah. I saw it. You did? And it was very bad. <laughs> I saw it in the theater. I think I was the only one in the theater. <laughs> I really don't know why I went and saw it. I guess I thought... I was about to ask, why did you see it in the theater? Here, here's the thing. I feel like I am like 1% maybe more charitable towards these... Disney properties that are not Marvel, you know, whatever. I liked Tomorrowland. Uh, I've liked a few other random projects here and there. Mm -hmm. And even though it, I literally hated the trailer and, like, there was nothing about it that was appealing, I read the book when I was a child but didn't, like, like love it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, maybe it's just, you know. The other thing, too, is these are children's movies. Right. So, like, there is kind of a grading, but no. Um, it is... I think I give a half star. Like I just think that's one of the most incompetent movies I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, which is too bad. But well, anyway, the good news is yeah. we're not reviewing that film. We're no. reviewing yeah. The Invisible Man. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. who wants to go first? Oh, yeah. Okay, I guess Nick wants to go first. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. Oh, boy. Well, thank you, Sam, for suggesting this. Uh, I think... It's been clear now that between the two of us, we very much enjoy some of these... Uh, what are you saying? I was about to say that Alex over here is not a big horror guy. 
Uh, That's mostly true. But I certainly am, and I know you have definitely, because you you were the one who suggested like Crimson yeah, Peak. She wanted to go see the Winchester House or whatever the fuck. I would have saw that too, but we just never found time. That's with true. That. Yeah, I heard that was terrible. By the way, I still would have saw it. <laughs> <laughs> you still can. <laughs> I think I actually have a DVD that I stole from the library. Uh, stole. My, well, okay, stole is a is a talk about his not employer here. legal <laughs> term. <laughs> they don't know how to download podcasts. They're all over sixty. Um, <laughs> Let me just back up and really quickly say <laughs> when we buy new movies, we buy like 10 copies of them to keep up with the demand. Are you saying first... those aren't flying off the shelves? Well, no, like they are. Like always. Really? Well, oh, they always no, are. No one's returning them. No. Oh. Jesus Christ. They're all Let me Chinese speak. House. Okay. I'm, sorry. I'm just kidding. I'll be quiet. I'm really, I'm not actually this mad about it. <laughs> no, but literally any movie that got to like a theater, like just has any kind of notability, whatever. We buy more than one copy of because they go off the shelf. People just put hold. I mean, it's free, right? Yeah. It's their tax dollars People at work. Hold on them. Right. But what happens is obviously at a certain point, we don't need more than one copy, maybe two yeah. if it's like Marvel or whatever. So we always have to get rid of copies. Ah. And that's where I sometimes take because we are literally going to throw them out or donate them or whatever we're going to do with them. I don't know. It's because we have whole different paths or whatever. So I'm not literally embezzling from... Oh, no. To be fair, working with a publishing company... I would say you're a publisher. There's got to be copies you're not going to use. Exactly. We actually had like a a purge of the um, arcs that are no longer available. Now you've just Um, piqued Nick's interest. I was going to (laughs) say... I'm um, a fan of the purge. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, of arcs that are no longer going to be available to oh, the mainstream audience. I have essentially. So there was a, a company wide email of like, "Hey, if you want to grab an arc, let us know. Like, we'll put it on the side for you." Yes. So, for those who don't know, arcs are yes. advanced reader copies. And as a librarian, because you know mm-hmm. you're speaking my language yeah. here, uh, we put out an email to our own department. Because we get ours. Right. We're like, by the way, before we get rid of these, does anyone want one of these? You know, because yeah. like, we can't put the arcs in our actual collection. Correct. Because they're only just a collection development tool of like, do we want this? You know, yep. whatever. But that means they're up for grab for anybody who actually wants to keep them and whatnot. Yeah. So, no, yeah, we do that with those as well. Because they can't be resold. Yes. This is right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, the Invisible Man. Yes. Oh, how I long to see you. Um, oh. It's a good thing that we're past the 3D hmm. epidemic. That would have been oh. Sorry. Oh, too, oh, too soon. Oh, it's coming back. Um, no, please no, I don't. I don't coronavirus. want the 3D. Hold on. James oh. Cameron, I'm sure, will I'm find okay a way to bring it back. 3D. He will. I'm, I'm glad we're out of the weeds, Every movie. so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so to speak. But I'm still like... If Avatar, the sequel, ever comes out, I will see it in 3D. <laughs> like, I'm not going to not... Yeah. yeah, but yeah. we we really don't need like the next Paul Thomas Anderson movie in 3D. Okay, now you're just being blasphemous. <laughs> um, no, The Invisible Man, though. Uh, I literally am fresh off my screening. I saw it last night at ten o'clock. Ooh. I know, and it was the last showtime. But I gotta say, I told Alex this earlier. Clearly, the word of mouth is doing pretty well because. Even for a 10 o'clock showing, there was like 20 or 25 people there, which I've seen a lot of movies at 10 o'clock, and that's not always the case. No. So I was very happy to see that. Uh, The Invisible Man, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was very good. I have a few things about it that don't quite work for me, but like overall, the package is fantastic, and I absolutely loved pretty much what it had to offer and how it did it. Um, 
going kind of through categories here, I thought the performances were across the board excellent. I don't really think there was a weak link in that department. Um, mm-hmm. I thought Elizabeth Moss, who I've always loved as an actress, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is uh, fantastic as always. Um, and that was a slight dig at the fact that she's a Scientologist. Uh, okay. But thanks I, for clarifying. Yeah, just wanted to make sure I'm not like being a weird, like sexist asshole. Like that's that's a very specific niche that I'm poking at. <laughs> I think she wasn't in that Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> yeah, that would have really brought it down. Ooh, uh, but no, I I thought she was, I thought she was great in this, um, and I thought everybody else was too. I'm a huge fan actually of Aldous Hodge, uh, who plays her friend, because mm-hmm. I've uh, been watching uh, his kind of breakout thing. It, at least to the people who watched it, but the TNT show Leverage, which was actually just a really fun cable show. And there he got to be this fun IT dork, um, which he was very good at, but also he didn't really get to flex a lot of dramatic muscles, even though he clearly... Or his literal... I was going to... No, he did not have those back then. Oh. Uh, I mean, he did, He was not out of shape, but he must have been in As something. He didn't. Yes. He didn't have the... Sylvester Stallone clause in his contract where he has to spend half of the movie shirtless or in a cutoff t-shirt. I mean, can you blame him? If I had that, I would do. Okay, there is a couple weird parts because like, it's pretty clear that he has very muscular shoulders and like neck muscles. Yeah. And he seemed to always be in predicaments where he's just like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, people don't stand called, like that. Yeah. It's called being the man of the house. Okay, but there was no yeah. reason for him to be standing like that. So yeah, don't, don't be know. jealous. I actually thought it was kind of, I actually kind of appreciated because it was, it felt like 1980s or 90s unnecessary to just be like, look at well, this. Well, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> give me 10 more years and maybe I'll have something to say about gratuitous male uh, body exploitation. But uh, in general, it's way behind the curve of females. So it'll, oh, well, it'll yeah, never but... bother me unless it's oh. like... It wasn't bothering me. I, it, I no, was no, not notice- you. It was noticeable. Oh, it absolutely was. No, but unless this movie had a scene when, like, Elizabeth Moss is, like, walking down the hall and he was like, excuse me, can you uh, oil me down for a second? I'm about to go tan or something. I got, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, even though this movie mostly took place at night. <laughs> yes. And you in know. the winter. Anyway. It's fighting the... Visible man, this black man's going tanning in the middle of the night. I don't want to make assumptions. Okay. That's racist. I'm an equal opportunity tanner, which means I belong in full house, I guess. I don't know. Who's just going to make a full house comment? Anyway. Well, well, well done. Where are we? We're on the invisible man. <laughs> I can't see him. Um, I thought the performances across the board were... Very good. Um, I thought Leigh Whannell's direction of pretty much everything, especially the visualization when it comes to cinematography and such, was stupendous for the most part. I haven't seen a mainstream blockbuster horror be so committed to letting its long takes uh, actually play out and trusting the audience to actually go with uh, very simple structural uh, visualizations of things like getting the layout of a house and whatnot, um, which I saw a little bit in the movie that I loved uh, from a few years ago called Don't Breathe, uh, but I thought it was just as well utilized in this kind of movie where, you know, the absence of space uh, is something that we, you know, have to uh, grapple with when we watch this movie. We have to see where, you know, where, because we don't know whenever 
he's on the screen where he's on the screen. So therefore, we have to be cognizant of where he could possibly be. So that all these kind of open wide shots I thought were fantastic and wonderfully utilized to the point where it never got to be static. I never thought we were like doing something like uh, 1917 where we were purposefully like, oh, this is kind of a bravura shot where if I don't cut, then I'm, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's more important or prestigious. It just felt like if we cut, it'll kind of cheapen the idea of where he might be at the house in this moment because we've already set up this tense uh uh, momentum of whatever's happening in the scene and whatnot. Also, um, something to mention is that, especially for somebody like Lee or Lay or whatever you say his name would yeah. now, um, he clearly makes good films on budget. So the idea of yeah. doing a film called The Invisible Man is like meant to be made by someone who's trying to make a film under like $30 million. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, while I think you can kind of see the seams here, because for example, even if it, like, like the knife going off the counter looked like what Paul Verhoeven was able to do in Hollow Man back in the nineties. <laughs> like it didn't look all that much. Yeah, but it more. kind of fits. I mean, it's a, it's a. I mean, from the outset, I feel like a lot of people go if they knew nothing about this, go in feeling like just the perception that this is kind of like a hokey, creepy, uh, not oh. hokey, but that it's it's a. There's a lot of weird shit happening in this I movie. bet the so CGI of the knife like oh, yeah. the, the visualization I'm like I don't think that's that far removed from what we were already doing in the 90s like it there's some of that kind no, of but that's whatever. okay like, no and I, a, that's what I'm trying to say like, film, so. for the most yeah. part I thought it was fine yeah. in spite of that um, but then uh, obviously the, the real selling point of this movie for myself and I would assume for others who enjoyed it is the straight on tackle of the concept of gaslighting and 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 manipulation of women and the way uh males in power just literally have all the tools at their disposal not because they're better or smarter than anyone else but because they're given those you know just from birth uh to just utterly fuck with another human being and uh just in my opinion just the most chilling and uh downright cruel like the first hour of this movie i was profoundly uncomfortable for just how mean-spirited it was in a good way like the things that he would do to her before it became and maybe that's kind of some of my nitpicks uh in that second hour but the things he would do to her in that first hour after uh he's come back and start to taunt her are so um chillingly simple that that is kind of what would make you start to either lose your grip on reality or lose your grip on social relationships because you can't argue (laughs) what the truth is. Uh, And it just becomes all the more, you know, I mean, you hear about it all the time when like, you know, if if a couple and if it's an abusive relationship, go to a party that a lot of the times it'll be people saying like, he's the nicest guy ever. He, you know, whatever. And it's only in privacy that, you know, he does all that kind of stuff. And that's essentially what invisibility is. It's privacy. It's this, I can never be held accountable for my actions and only yours are going to be observed. So therefore I don't care what I do. And not only do I not care, but I'm out to, you know, you know, punish and whatnot. Um, But I just thought like almost everything that was happening in that first hour was just profoundly disgusting in a way that, 
most like graphically violent movies just aren't and you know the way you can turn a stove on uh, or turn it up after you've left the room uh which is less about i think for me at least like messing with her own state of mind but more about messing with her credibility mm-hmm. and you know and in that household and her standing there and of course getting in the way of her progress and right. whatnot and and I absolutely loved it for that reason. And I loved, of course, the, the way it plays out and the way it fights back against that as, you know, the ending certainly uh, allows and whatnot. Um, if I have any nitpicks that I won't get super into until we're all talking, it's that I do think some of the parts of the second half, while I like in the sense that I thought it was technically great and I did have a fun time watching it, I thought the switch from this kind of blasé psychopath of like, I'm just going to fuck with you and, you know, do this and I don't know, take the blanket off your whatever to make you get out of bed and all that kind of stuff, which, or even like take your stuff from your job interview and whatnot, like literally just destroy you as a presence in a public community. I thought all that was fantastic, so good, and very uncomfortable. So that by the time he becomes the Terminator, and he starts literally, apparently knowing, uh, like, just the most, I don't know, uh, black belt, whatever, karate, and precise, whatever. Um, Like, I don't mean this in a sexist way, but, like, (sighs) that's a great thing to say. When when there are fights between him and her in a domestic sense, like, I can believe that, unfortunately, he could overpower her because he has an advantage and he has, um, you know, whatever, tool at his disposal. When he is in a room full of, like, 18 cops... They just keep showing up. Yeah, yeah. And none of them are learning from anything that's happening and he's still able to dispose of every single one of them. That is such a weirdly imbalanced thing that while I definitely thought it looked cool and I enjoyed it when I was watching it, I thought that was really the only time, and I kind of said this to Alex earlier, that Lewinow accidentally tipped his hand because this is her story. Even though it's called The Invisible Man, which I actually think is a great title for that reason, it is alluring in this. I mean, I know it's a remake, so therefore it's capitalizing on whatever. But if you just take the semantics of the title itself, uh, of the semantics, semiotics, um, to call it that is kind of a form of gaslighting in and of itself. You're, you know, this is a story about the invisible man. Like, no, it's not. This is her story. And you watch as she tries to reclaim her own narrative. And she finally does by the end of it. Um, But even though uh, this is her story, I felt in those scenes toward the end, Lewinell was a little too infatuated with what he could do with the invisible man, that he lost a little bit of footing when it comes to properly conveying this fantastic narrative, um, especially in relation to uh, her agency as a character and her value and worth as a person inside this narrative. I never thought it at all stepped over the line of like, well, now it's become sexist or now it's whatever. But I felt like that was a weak moment for Lei Wanell, who's clearly loves that kind of action because he's deployed it in his previous films where he does these super slick camera movements when uh, these kind of almost slow-mo meets high-mo, you know, fighting style. Which was really only in that hospital scene. It was, but yeah. I think that's why it stood out. Yeah. Like, you know, so I feel like that was a weak moment for him where he couldn't resist and I just don't think a female director would have given 
the Invisible Man in that uh, scene that much credit, so to speak. He was already doing fine <laughs> uh, before that, so it just kind of went off the rails in that isolated sequence. Having said that, I do think throughout this was a pretty well-calibrated movie, and overall, this was her story, and she did... Uh, it was a great character. I thought it was a great performance, and I absolutely loved it. But that is slightly... I, I just wish he would make the action film he so desperately wants to make mm-hmm. so he doesn't keep like having to shoehorn it in to his other projects. And I think while it was actually a decent fit in a movie like Upgrade, which was a fun action sci-fi uh, hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, Upgrade was slighter than a movie like this. I'm not saying uh, worse, but it didn't have this kind of powerful, provocative message. It was mm-hmm. more about the surface pleasures of watching this world unfur- uh, unfurl and this character uh, find out what he's capable of. This, for a lot of his pluses, is about something serious. It's about something that uh, deserves to be taken seriously. And that was, uh, I just thought, a weak moment in a great film. And, and there, there was a lot of stuff I loved about the movie that totally supersede that scene and whatnot. So I'm not like picking on it so much as I just don't think it's probably going to get talked about that much. So I just wanted to put out well, what I just didn't really care for, even though I did actually enjoy it. So I liked it a lot. So as someone who loves that type of um, action, uh, I, as do I. <laughs> I absolutely love that scene, whether or not it really had a place here. Um, I guess for me, it was almost like casting somebody in a film who does one thing not really well but is as their trademark like it's almost like casting Bing Crosby in a film and asking him not to sing at some point <laughs> like it it really i feel like almost he wouldn't wasn't able to contain himself so there had to be some scene and really would not have made sense in any oh. way other than that although i do agree uh, is the Invisible Man? What's his name? Adrian, I think is yeah. His, yeah. Adrian. His name is. Uh, he does come off with this almost like he's the Terminator in that scene. I was gonna say he almost has a feeling like I, I'm. All, I got like a weird Boba Fett vibe from him, where he's just mm-hmm. this like guy a who could just slinger extraordinary. Yeah, he could just sneak from place to place, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought he was just this smart guy. So okay, but apparently he's also this. Um, but I yeah. think uh, one thing, and then I'll completely pass it off yeah. <laughs> about that sequence is that, like I said, I'm down for that kind of action, and I did like that scene mm-hmm. in particular, as far as kind of isolated from the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But the camera literally does not cut to her much at all in that. while that's happening, which is weird because that means she could have been doing so much during that. Like, why wasn't she trying to run away? In the like, he's so preoccupied, and so is the director with these cops and with whatnot, that she never once then decides to try to fight back. Like, this could be the moment where she could pick up a gun, shoot it at him, but she's not allowed to do that until that scene is over, and it's more of an even playing field. So I just that's where I just thought the weight balance got a little off or whatever. Yeah. So, anyway. So, uh, I thought this was really good. I didn't think this was great. Um, I think... A lot of that just goes into my personal feelings of what the Invisible Man was physically in this movie. In that, in my mind, I was a little not able to completely play along when it was revealed that, in fact, it was just a guy in a suit with cameras on it. Mm -hmm. I felt like when that happened and was revealed, I was like, 
all right. And I'm all for wanting to have Elizabeth Moss's character gain the upper hand and outsmart Adrian and really show that this is all just bullshit. But at the same time, I'm sorry, going into this, expecting this to be a magical, mystical being in some way. And why did you expect that? Because... Have you seen the Claude Rains movie? No. Okay. So I'm just saying, like, where is this attachment that it has to be? Because I guess it's just a mental... He was a scientist back in yeah, that movie. Which is which is fine. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. my, my, my brain going into this is saying, okay, there is someone who has faked their death or has died and has found a way to haunt people. Um, so this idea, this idea of, of being this being who can go back and forth and do these things and go undetected is fascinating to me. But when it is just someone who's just physically there wearing a suit, um, it just, it just takes away, which I, I guess is, is, is makes the narrative better. Uh, thinking about it more is, is I've gotten days away from actually seeing it. But at the same time, uh, actually watching the theater, all I kept thinking to myself is, is how is he not running into things when he's walking? How is no one hearing him come into the room? Yeah. Like, it's just these, these things that honestly I shouldn't get caught up on. But as soon as that's revealed, I was like, okay, that's kind of lame. Um, well, <laughs> I will say that there's no difference though, whether it's a suit versus a potion, because in the old versions, the potion didn't change their actual, like, you know, body mass or density and whatnot. So these things are always like, like you have to suspend your disbelief in no, I know. I, any version of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that what, I thought it should be and what ended up being is right. I'm just saying my brain-wise, when I'm watching the film and the first time through, I was just like, eh, okay. Uh, so that being said, getting away from that, um, <laughs> my other criticism of the film is it kind of in the same way about this has really nothing to do with the actual film itself. <laughs> and has more to do with the fact that the more I watch Elizabeth Moss in these kind of roles the more disingenuous I feel like she is. Um, and it really sucks because just like in Handmaid's Tale and in this, she's giving this great performance that I feel like anyone, man or woman, could easily get behind and say that this is a great, empowering performance. And then in the back of my head, just like with the actual physical being thing, uh, I just keep saying, this is all bullshit because she doesn't believe any of this necessarily i mean maybe she does but she also lives this very alternative lifestyle um that has really ruined a lot of people's lives oh yeah uh Mm -hmm. especially actors and celebrities so i mean if you look at like all the horror stories that have come out people who've actually escaped or people who haven't like john travolta who's in just a really weird spot and he has been for a long time um it's 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 weird. So it's just that being said, actually the film wise, watching from start to finish, even though I didn't love it, this is a really good movie that is made really really well um, and has a fantastic ending. I think I think that is a real hallmark of a strong film is a film that has a really good ending that 
that is worth it. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't, you know, it was planned out by her, but also like you don't really know. But there's so many parts about the ending that works so well. The idea that she uses the same exact spot where she was hiding her shit earlier to hide this again. Uh, the idea that she outsmarts this guy who really fashions himself to be quite the whippersnapper. Um, and at the same time, um, literally just gives him every opportunity to come clean and whatever. And obviously I'm sure he's aware that she's trying to do that to him, but at the yeah. same time, she's just trying to be honest, just as he's saying to her. Um, and then when he doesn't, she just loses throat, which is everyone's totally fine with. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, and even yeah. Aldous Hodge's reaction is very conflicted because yeah. you know, oh, yeah. as a cop, obviously that's a big no-no. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? But, but in the narrative of the movie, it's one of those like I mean, that's not even just his friend. That guy came after his daughter. I mean, these right. are all such a personal thing that um, even he has to. I I just love the way he played it, where he didn't really say good for you he Mm -hmm. just kind of said okay like yep walk away from this and i you know like i'm gonna look the other way not so much that i'm happy this happened but also there is so much evil in the world that uh this is another version of it and i'm more comfortable with this version existing than i am with that version existing so so another part of that story though um that is just really well done is just the idea of Elizabeth Moss's character of Cecilia, just no one believing her mm-hmm. and um, that she almost transmits that to Adrian at the end of the film where nobody will believe that an invisible person now uh, is coming back because he's supposed to be an invisible person or that guy's dead and everyone's saying he's dead already, whatever. So there's a lot of that in this film that plays into this idea of people believing things and not wanting to believe in anything other than what they already believe in and that new information almost it would have to be overwhelming to even change their thought process and we see that early on in the film with the sister um, who asks a lot of questions in the opening scene and that relationship is very interesting as the film goes on and actually is kind of, you know there are some questionable parts about about how it plays Slightly out lightly undercooked in yeah. the sense that there's not a lot of scream time. I agree. Devoted I th- to it. And I think, and we'll get into this, but I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of undercooked character relationships and even development within this piece, yeah. which is one of my struggles with it. Yeah. So, continue. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, even early on, we have her questioning, why did you leave him? Mm-hmm. Why would you do this? Um, and then... You know, she's very quick to turn on her then after that email. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, but, and then we have actually what I thought was the best scene of the entire film, which is the restaurant scene where they are talking and then very quickly and abruptly her throat is slit and she's dead (laughs) at the table and she's not been framed for murder. Um, And that is, that scene is great only because that takes everything that has happened and actually puts it on a physical level, which obviously like, I feel like Elizabeth Moss this character of Cecilia would have never killed Adrian at the end if he hadn't killed her sister. Mm-hmm. So this idea of like, that is what 
pushed her over the top of actually having to overcome his narcissistic controlling bullshit is the idea of him actually going so far to literally murder a family member of hers. Well, and then to go after it. I mean, he would have murdered a child, mm-hmm. yeah. too, you know, but luckily it was prevented. Well, he wouldn't have. His brother would have, which is even oh, more fucked yeah, up. That's actually right. true. I forgot about is, that. That's, that's how, yeah, that's how, how under the devout thumb. his brother is yeah. to him. Is Can that you do me a go- favor? Can you go over to uh, 163... Uh, Maple Lane, and uh, there's a little girl in there. Uh, just uh, just take care of her. Here, here wear this. <laughs> right, just put on the invisible suit. You'll be fine. Don't yep, worry. Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, and then the don't l- call me on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially not it's on this. John, not on this number. What are you yeah. doing? Uh, the the, 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 the Sorry, last. Who are you? <laughs> the last thing I'll say uh, is that you know, and I, I've done this on on other episodes, but my my thought of this is improving as we're talking it through. So I might I might improve my my rating just a little bit. We'll see. We'll see where I'm at the end of the episode. But I did overall like this, even though I had uh, my gripes. The one thing I will say is that, uh, Nick, when we talked about this before you had seen it, and after I had seen it, uh, you asked if there was anything connecting this to the potential Universal Monsters universe, and I said, no, not really. Yeah, I mean, general, that was... one small detail that maybe could be, and I don't even think it's anything, but it could down I think that's more like you could extrapolate from that, not necessarily that that was intentional setup. It's not, Mm -hmm. but um, I personally um, like the idea, even if nothing ever comes of it. Of even though she is just removing the evidence, I do like the idea that she is now going to become this vigilante type figure in the invisible man suit, and she's going to go do whatever to people and you know have that be a cause of hers or whatever instead of being you know this person who does it for all these terrible reasons, someone who does it for good and is not trying to destroy one person but build people up or whatever. So, I don't know. Oh, absolutely, I think this is uh. I'll briefly say I think this is a good movie in this political climate Hmm. where a lot of people that are like-minded with my views are starting to come around to the idea that you absolutely can fight fire with fire if your water is not working because at the end of the day, you cannot overthrow any type of systemic change without Mm -hmm. putting yourself in the same game that they're playing and i think when it comes to something like this where it's you know if uh what's good enough for him is good enough for her if she's gonna have a way more uh noble use of it and so i absolutely like that and i thought it was weirdly daring for a kind of mainstream horror film to basically end on that kind of a note yeah So it, it, it checked a lot of boxes there, and uh, I thought it was good. And my wife, Emily, who uh, said she was interested in seeing it, and this is not the kind of movie she usually likes, liked it a lot, and thought it was very empowering towards women. So thought that was a good viewpoint and something I agreed with. And... I think men should be invisible. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? I mean, not like in the way he was in this movie. I just mean like... <laughs> We don't need that. Clarify. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that, uh, speaking of female perspectives, Yay. Sam, um, <laughs> since we have dominated this. Wow, I feel like, yeah, <laughs> this is like the worst fanfare it's ever. Fine. Like, After two guys just talked, uh, what do yeah. you think about this? This was horrible. I was rooting for him the whole time. <laughs> Sam, um, did you agree? <laughs> I, so... I actually have a mixed bag of mm-hmm. opinion slash feeling about this film. Sure. Um, I 
while I enjoy some of the performances, um, I think the the biggest part for me was I came into this thinking that there would be at least some sort of establishment to to be made within the beginning. Um, but I felt like for the first maybe half an hour, um, I was kind of floundering, trying to figure out who's who, how is so-and-so connected to so-and-so. Um, so like when the sister pulls up on the side of the road, um, I assumed that it was a best friend. I did not assume that it was a sister of any kind. I actually think it was a friend. It was not, it was not the sister. You're saying it wasn't the same person? I am saying that, yes. Oh, I thought oh, they looked... It was the same. I don't believe so. I think there is even a line of dialogue as, oh, I called this person to come get me because I couldn't call you or something like that. Which would make sense as oh. to why, if she didn't want her to come to the house, yeah. why would she be the one to come pick Which her Which I don't up? think she was. But they did look what? eerily similar. Okay. As actresses, I mean. Okay. So then and, was... and, it, and it could have been, but I'm pretty sure it was somebody different. So, okay. anyways. Not positive. Yeah. yeah. I, Thanks I for a... mansplaining that. <laughs> Um, Anytime. The, <laughs> um, but kind of, I wish there had been a little bit more, and it didn't have to be anything blatant narrative-wise for me of like, this is so-and-so. He's my best friend. He's going to take care of me. Like, like, like Mark 80s, Wahlberg? What? <laughs> I'm just picturing an 80s sitcom where they, they, they put their names on them and they do the thumbs up. Right. <laughs> and it's a freeze frame yep. and you get to like read their full name. Um, Whoa. Alex is bringing down the house. He's really into this idea. <laughs> bringing down the house. Yeah. Um, but I I think that was something that maybe needed to be fleshed out a little bit more. Um, just even throughout. Um, we obviously know that there's tension in Cecilia and Adrian's relationship. What? Um, <laughs> surprise. Um, but... To an extent, I wish we had a little bit more of a background to it other than just sort of by word of mouth. Um, and I don't know if that's just me thinking that a film needs to be a little bit more visual by by that means um, or if it just has to be that's my perspective on it. Um, but I... That's one category of it. Um, As a pretty big fan of this movie, I thought their relationship was very underdeveloped. Yeah. And while I was ultimately okay with it, it I wouldn't also say that it supports the weight that it presents. Yeah. And I think... Um, Do you think that that was... Sorry to cut you no. off, Sam. Do you think that that was in... From what you were saying earlier, Nick, before we were doing the episode, I, I agree with this idea that they are never trying to make it seem like he's she's imagining this yeah that was something i kind of forgot in my opening which is that i thought was a big crucial thing about this movie um let's put it bluntly right now the current trend for a lot of horror films is the ambiguity uh, yeah. of are they really crazy are they not and then let's not answer that until the end or not even answer it at all right and i do love that shit like i do totally <laughs> go to bat for that you know whatnot but it, it's just so unnecessary here because if you're going to tell him a story about uh, manipulation and gaslighting, you can't be ambiguous. That right. means you are on the side of 
questioning friends and yeah. and yeah and whatnot. So I personally loved that. In my opinion, this was never ambiguous. And even when it may have been ambiguous by, like, just you know, we're so prone to just think that these days. The movie went out of its way for me. The establishing shot of the stove, which is very early out of the movie, mm-hmm. was saying, "Okay, the character left the room," and. This is happening without her involvement in the whatever. So we are, it's the first time the movie divorced from her perspective. So therefore, it was the final confirmation in the first half hour that none of this is in her head. This is happening with or without her. And I absolutely love that fact. Um, Which which I was going to tug on the thread of underdeveloping their relationship would have given credence to the idea that maybe she is just making all this shit up. But since they don't really follow that, right. it doesn't you, you really make sense. You can't really that. factor right. that into. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about her and her relationship with her friends or family is that while I do think they're underdeveloped and undercooked, although I pretty well, that, much... That, was, that, that's on purpose, though. I do think it's on purpose. Yeah. But I In also think way. it's sl- slightly sidestepped by the fact that no matter what happens, what I, and I think this was kind of a powerful thing, no matter what happens, no matter what this guy did to her throughout the entire movie, neither one of those parties, the uh, Aldous Hodge, uh, mm-hmm. her friend, or her sister, completely gives up on her. Yeah. No, like, no matter how mad they are at her. So for her to have that email thing, which I actually thought was a poor scene and didn't I, make any sense. I agree. I thought there was a lot of value in depicting a stable support system so that even when she called her sister and said, I need to meet with you, I need help, still she still up. shows up. And then that's ultimately why that scene is so tragic. And you were saying earlier, Nick, and I'm sorry, we had a obviously long conversation about this before the podcast so sorry we're just rehashing that um you had talked about and i agree with this that this a scene that was really good is when um adrian hits the daughter and then it is assumed that it was although again with some weird things in this movie where it's she's like on the other side of the room so how did i don't think that makes any sense (laughs) from a logical standpoint like that that's horror logic to me which is it's, it's taking a very fantastical situation and you're just going with the flow. And as long as it doesn't completely, you know, you can bend it, but as long as you don't break it, I'm yeah. okay with that. Mm-hmm. So for the daughter to think that she hit her, mm-hmm. I'm totally okay with because a, you're young. So I think, you know, you're whatever, but, but B there's no other explanation. And for she it. has reason to question her because she doesn't necessarily believe yeah. any of the shit she's peddling. Right. The stove incident happened while she was there. So she's like, uh, this person doesn't know how to cook. She's found her crying on the floor. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. these things mm-hmm. that are whatever. And so what I said to Alex earlier was that that was probably one of my all-time favorite scenes of this movie. Simply because when uh, all oh, this all His reaction is, is great. Is so great because mm-hmm. he's actually never... 100% mad at her. He right. just says, this is what I need to do right now because this is what I care about most for good reason, which yeah. is my daughter. You need to probably leave the premise at least for a little while, whatever. Not yeah. like, how dare you? Right. You there was to... no accusatory no. tone to it. And I think he did think that she probably did it in that moment, but he was respectful of the fact that none of this is normal. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry we've taken over your portion, Sam. <laughs> We're, this is this really is going poorly. I was going to say this has been one of the worst. Like, <laughs> oh boy, are we? Uh, God, aren't we? 
Yeah. Whatever. Part like of the problem. Men. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, so we're just going to turn these down. <laughs> that's her microphone. Oh, oh that's hers. <laughs> yeah. oh, this is why I don't do the switchboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Oh, please continue, um. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and um. another thing. <laughs> Stop. Um, any, anywho, um, aside from my criticisms of that, um, there's um, something that I like to kind of create balance to this. Um, some uh, I do appreciate the shots where it just holds steady on an empty frame, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kitchen scene that you keep referencing, Nick, is so nice. Um, and I deeply appreciate that we are forced to just kind of stare at this like I spy scene and kind of see what's happening to it. Um, though I'm a little disappointed that the first one that was like brought in was the one with the curtains. Um, and I was trying so hard to try to find something, but I myself couldn't find something. So if you could find something, let me know. Um, but I wanted to kind of see something. And I don't know if that was just my own mind thinking like, okay, I'm coming in with like a predetermined, I know this is about a guy who's invisible when there's nobody on the like uh, on camera is there actually somebody in that like scene um so i don't know if it was if that was intentional now that i like think about it of like oh you know was i the crazy one to assume whether or not there was somebody there or is that just that was something that was smart on the director's part of saying okay leave it don't touch anything and then the next time we do something like this, something changes. Um, in that scene of the kitchen, though, um, something that I was hesitant about um, was the knife. Um, we see it leave the counter, but you never hear it hit the floor. There's never you never see the knife go anywhere else. Um, in my logical brain, even though I didn't hear it hit the floor in the movie. I naturally assumed that it had fallen to the floor. Um, So when they're in the kitchen and they're like interacting and trying to turn the stove off, I was nervous and I was like, there's a fucking knife on the floor. What are you doing? You're stepping on a knife. Yeah. The confusing thing about that scene. So I I can completely, well, I I didn't mean to cut you off. (laughs) It's fine. I'm just so cognizant of that. Uh, (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, I would just say that I feel like I completely understand what you're saying, and what's unfortunate is that there is a payoff to it later, right? But it's 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 very delayed in a good way. I mean, sometimes yeah. delayed gratification is satisfying. I did love that attic scene, but obviously it can create confusion in you know the, in the media moment. res and whatnot. Right. So I mean, I will admit when I saw it, I did pretty much take it verbatim that he basically very quietly took it off, and because he's a tall person, like if he just you know, puts his arms down, like, not, like, trying to, like, wield it. Uh, that, However, also, maybe his suit, maybe he puts it in a pocket. Like, maybe there's a way, I mean, if, if right. invisibility suits exist, mm-hmm. maybe there's room for a knife inside of it, right. so there, to speak. You open up the suit jacket, I don't know, there's hidden pockets in it, I, I don't know. That uh, also have cameras that can <laughs> right. make it look invisible. Well, and... To, to discuss that note, mm-hmm. um, I had gone into this thinking it would be a little bit more sci-fi mm-hmm. than what 
it turned out to be in in my eyes. And I don't know if that's because, again, I came in with this idea that it was coming from like a a sci-fi perspective originally um, or that sort of like fantabulism of, of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when essentially it's discovered that it's a suit made out of cameras, um, <laughs> I wanted... I had so many more questions and sure. none of them were answered because the, um, <laughs> the movie's not about that. It's just exactly. It's just the literal what this is, is just a suit of cameras. Yes. <laughs> um, but, and I guess to that end, I guess it's just me wanting more details and to have things fleshed out. I don't think it's um, just you because okay. I'm, I was going to say you're in good company. With I was going to say, yeah, I right. spent the next 20 minutes being like, how does this happen? Why is this yeah. happening this way? Why? But do any of those questions mm-hmm. enhance the narrative? No. no. If you learn how he goes to the bathroom in that suit. No, but on a no. first time viewing when you have no yeah, idea yeah. about it That's... and then you see, oh, it's actually just a guy with a bike. Like he doesn't like become. Which I would argue is maybe I thought the reveal was extremely sci-fi because I, I, I thought for the most part, I, and I wasn't expecting it as well, but I was like, oh, this is so grounded. I'm not saying realistic, mm-hmm. yeah. but so grounded in the idea of what today's modern science would basically conceive as a futuristic tech mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, this is weirdly practical. Um, yeah, and that kind of goes along with my comment I made to you earlier in the week when I said that... That you really wanted one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Just for personal use. Uh that um Luke, there's nobody in the mirror. Th- this idea that this is kind of like upgrade where it's like set in like a very not distant future where in the not too distant future. Where like Sunday. it feels like this is not possible, but it feels like it's just not possible that mm-hmm. someone could do something like this. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so can I just say about the suit really quick that I am so happy when she's in the attic and she spills the paint on him, which I thought was a great scene. It was. Yeah. Uh, my first thought, and then it very much got answered, was why does he look like a golf ball? Because it, like they are true <laughs> yeah. to what that camera looked like, but we don't yeah. know that that's what it is. Right. So I was like, this is stupid. And then maybe that's why, for whatever reason, I was very taken by the suit because I was like... That's why he looks like a couple. Like my one question was answered, and therefore I was completely satisfied. But anyway, yeah. So uh, I go ahead. Continue. Uh, I have a question for everybody. So if you have anything else to start with, go ahead. I know um, we're in, like an hour in, so we're not really in opening thoughts anymore. It's fine. So um, I think to kind of to go back on that conversation of the suit and connect yeah. it with Adrian himself. Mm-hmm. Um. I think I just had some like logical things with it of um, one. We know that he's in optics um, and that that article that is seen like when he initially when it's announced that he's dead, um, that he's just some like groundbreaking optics individual. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish we had known kind of a little bit more about what kind of optics um, like, was he, like, on the forefront of new research for optics? Um, which, I mean, I just naturally assumed with a suit like that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, kind of fast-forwarding of the whole world thinks he's dead. Um, 
how is he back to being alive? Or does just nobody know about his existence when she goes back to the house? Assume he just found a cadaver and just put some of his blood on there, and that's how they identified his body. To be fair, I don't. I don't think his death was as public as it seemed. I believe it was a as if he's a tech person. The only thing we see is a newspaper article that is shown to her, mm-hmm. not like picked up and yes, yeah. and... and pictures from a brother who's in on it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I completely okay. fought that. Okay. That was a very closed loop of a. That's it. Like you know, whatever. That can explain it a little bit more. Yeah, that, was, that's just my only thing. But I was definitely pondering, like, all right, if globally we know that this man is dead, how is like how is it that he's been able to like suddenly sit there in his house and like wait for his like ex-wife to come talk to him without people being like how did you survive death like that sort of like phenomena um but um i think there were um some very lovely scenes um throughout this um performance wise um there's very nice panoramic shots i really like in part of the opening sequence um when the camera is focusing on the bed and you see all the windows along the waterfront, um, that is very lovely. Oh, I am a sucker for fun opening title sequences, and this one was actually pretty good. It was. Yes. It was. It had nothing to do with the rest of the film. <laughs> okay. But I had told that to my boyfriend, good. Colin, and I was okay. like, what did the waves have to do with the opening sequence? Yeah. And he just looked at me and goes, nothing. But that was, I mean, yeah. the way that you got to see the the opening like, I, yeah. moment, essentially. I, I will say I do think it has a slight, uh, uh, I don't know, homage feel to anyone who's seen a lot of Invisible Man, either adaptations or mm-hmm. variations or whatever, knows that water is the ultimate, basically, tell like some kind of liquid basically so i almost kind of feel like it was addressing that up front and we do see that uh in the the rain i mean that's why it happens on a stormy night not Mm -hmm. i know it happens in the house by the end of it but like in the police parking lot and whatnot Mm -hmm. so i kind of like that they got it all out for the opening credits instead of the actual climax and whatnot yeah and they just look cool oh it absolutely did yeah yeah. so um so in general um I, there were lots of highs and lows throughout it for me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of came out on the other end, um, neither bettered nor worsened by it. (laughs) Um, Though I would say that I'm not up for a second viewing. I'm fine with just seeing it once and Mm. that's, that's about that. So, okay. So uh, the question I have that I definitely something I wanted to ask is what did everybody think about the storyline of her taking birth control without him knowing about it? Because uh, I thought that was something that actually flew a little bit under the radar in this movie um, that nobody was really talking about. But at the same time, the idea that she was doing this behind his back and hiding this from him. And this is seemingly what pushed him over the edge to go after her in this really 
Bond villain scheme of <laughs> fucking her life up and then having to somehow impregnate her without her knowing as he drugged her and then impregnated her and then which greatly disturbs me I have to put it out yes. there right away and and then we have the ending of 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 him wanting to control her again so he can be in the child's life um there's a lot of weird shit happening with that in this movie that I feel like is a little bit under the radar. So this was actually something that I was very disturbed by. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's terribly unfortunate because there are actual women forced into this situation, mm-hmm. um, which is disgusting to me. Um, but I... Hmm. Where do I start? (laughs) Um, I think in the most concise manner, I don't know if it, while I understand that it is a plot point, I don't know if it if it was necessary to the entire story. I think it could have done without this, um, or without that sort of remark, um, that, Oh, now you're pregnant. Now you have to keep the baby here. I felt that that was more of a distraction um and that it was um almost too dramatic of like a a plot point to add to it i think yeah, it's there is even like that weird moment where like you can like kind of hear somebody saying oh we found another irregularity with your blood test and she's like thanks i got what i needed and it was yeah. like oh okay well and that so with that i think we already know that this man is manipulative mm-hmm. like to start and that there's a lot of you know, abuse going on in this relationship. Um, and I think it was almost uh, too dramatic of a move, if you ask me, um, to also, like, throw that in and say, oh, you know, that this is what's going on, so you're going to have to keep the baby and if you want this money. And it's like, well, that's a stupid thing to say, um, for, for my opinion. Um, but I... Well... It's, it's just really weird because this idea of wanting to control somebody where, and this gets into a weird political space here, mm-hmm. you're wanting to control somebody so much that you have control over all of their reproductive choices because how dare you stop me from being able to impregnate you? It's like, ooh. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I do think, um, even though I, I agree with what you're saying, Sam, but I feel like it is very good at just pushing that point home that much further that this guy oh, is a real piece of dog shit. So, yes. to yeah. that extent, I completely agree. Yeah. Of like, I understand why it's put in because. Yeah, it, but at the same time, yeah, it's. Yeah. I. It, to me, it felt unnecessary, and I think it was powerful enough just to know that this man was abusive in other ways to her mm-hmm. um, without having to to bring that in. And I don't know if that's just a personal opinion or no. um, or whatnot. Well, but... And now she's got a little Palpatine inside her, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Although or she'll name him she? a Skywalker, so it's fine. Uh, yes. So, Nick, did you have any thoughts on this at all? Or? Uh, I do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I don't know if they're valuable. <laughs> um, I personally 
had no problem with any of that storyline. And I think for a couple of reasons, which mm-hmm. is it, I mean, it, no problem meaning that I thought it was necessary in a sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I was disgusted by it. You know, like it made oh, me yeah. uncomfortable in it. So I don't mean no problem. Like, oh, we're all good, bro. <laughs> um, you do you? No, I, I watched it and what I, I, I still preferred that element to the the kind of Terminator-esque turn that he was taking. Like yeah. At least there I thought we're still hanging on a slightly more human and recognizable uh, you know, version of what does happen in real life and whatnot. And here's the reason why for me it worked is that so often uh, I am genuinely surprised in in a very pleasant way that we never actually see her rape. Because you think about the context of Invisible Man adaptations, and that's like the go-to thing is enacting violence and and rape. I mean, Hollow Man by Paul Verhoeven, a movie I absolutely love for all the wrong reasons. (laughs) I will state that. Yeah, but Paul Verhoeven is more of a provocateur. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's one of my favorite directors because he's so wrong. He's (laughs) right, in my opinion. But I would not defend him morally, you know, whatever. But, I mean, there, that's... But that he's not doing anything differently than any what the Invisible Man uh, mythos basically got uh, prompted to be, which is that um, you know you, you you get corrupted by this, and it's like you can be a decent person, but once you get something like invisibility, then mm-hmm. you know what's to stop you? And I, and I think I always come down fifty fifty on that. I think that's true to an extent. Like I do think that we are sometimes morally shaped by our limitations you know like Mm -hmm. that sometimes we maybe are only good people because we're not (laughs) faced with hard choices at certain times Mm -hmm. and whatnot on the other hand i also think we're good people when we are because that's who we are and whatnot so I, i so i do love the invisible man as a as a story in horror because i do think it's it's a good question and and i i think it's a worthwhile one in this movie, though, the fact that we never see, for example, the rape, um, and we never actually question her choice to have or keep the baby. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. talked about uh, from his point of view in a sick way. Yeah. Like, well, when you keep the baby, like, I don't think by the end of this movie, any one of us three could say whether she's going to actually keep that baby or not. Well, it's mm-hmm. never never addressed. Exactly. Right. And I think that's what's actually kind of revolutionary about the way that this plot line, from the absence of the rape, which I know this sounds bad, but that's actually one of the the least graphic ways you can depict rape in a mainstream movie. Yeah. You have an invisible man. Like, you, you know, you have a hall pass, so to speak, to do something awful to your woman, you know, your female character and get away with it because, you know, you're not being that off-putting because you can't really see it, you know. It's just, it's a... Wow. Well, you don't think that there's truth in the idea that... I I don't... Uh, okay. <laughs> I guess I have to backtrack. I don't think that a woman being raped in any context is necessarily... Well, I mean, um, I, I obviously... Better, worse, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I but, guess... Sorry. I was going to say really quickly, the visualization of things, what's presented on screen absolutely changes the dynamic of the way the audience receives it, the way the audience tolerates it, and the way uh, the message is, uh, you know, 
depicted. And yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that audiences are more okay with something less graphic. Even if it's a powerhouse performance by the female, I think audiences, particularly if they're male, heavy, whatever, are inherently sexist, are inherently misogynistic, uh, you know, just yeah. as far as the average, uh, you know, across baseline. The average viewer. Well, you know, and so, yeah, I do think that there is actually credence to the idea that if Leigh Whannell wanted to include that scene, he could have possibly gotten away with it in the sense that it's not the same thing as the scene in The Sopranos when Dr. Melfi is raped. And that's one of the most horrific things I've ever seen uh, on any TV, film, anything. Uh, and mostly because of how realistic it is. The moment you you do something fantastical, you're, you're escaping to another layer of reality. It may be a grounded one. It may be one that you can emotionally... Uh, recognized and maybe one that has layers to it academically mm-hmm. but you can't say that that in any way is going to be perceived and or land the same way that if you depict something in a straightforward this is what it looks like when we think but of the concept. Th- th- that's true but the and it's up to the viewer's perspective uh, in this case totally as it almost reads like a book but for me I feel like there are so many scenarios where this could happen because my brain automatically thinks, well, obviously she was drugged Mm -hmm. in some way to have this happen. Did he just impregnate her like through artificial insemination? Did he actually rape her? I'm sure he raped her. Right. That's me just saying that. I'm not (laughs) saying, oh, here's the data. Um, (laughs) But but that's what I'm trying to say. The fact that you get to ask that question Mm -hmm. means that at least in my opinion, that um, depicting it, 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 I I guess I'll go back to what were you going to say really quick. Were you going to go off more? I wasn't. I was just going to say that um, I feel like in a way it makes it not less, not more brutal really, but like I feel like the idea of him drugging her and putting her out so he can unbeknownst to her rape her and then impregnate her and then have her somehow have have to drug her again to have her to get a blood test to find out that she is pregnant is really um, well all that's brutal it is and i completely agree with that yeah but i'm i guess i'm more talking about what the audience gets to see not what she gets to experience i'm saying the absence of the scene is a choice to be made. Although uh, this is getting kind of difficult for me because on the other end of it too, I feel like Lee Winnell is actually using it as a plot device to have a reveal for the audience. So in the, that the way fact that she's pregnant or the, yeah. Fact that, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not saying that that's definitely not an element here. And I, I pretty much do think that Lee Winnell is about at that level of script writing. Like, mm-hmm. so I would agree with that. Um, but I would say that the choice is made through, out the film suggests a higher level of thinking that he's never put into any of his previous projects that I think he was. What are you talking about? In Upgrade, he had people shooting bullets out of their hands. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> That's a good movie. But... It is a great movie. No, I, whatever. But I, um, 
but I do think there was a careful and for the first time I thought actually in Lee Winnell's career, a self-conscious choice to all the decisions he made, um, including something like that. So yeah. good stuff. Any other discussions that anybody wanted to have? I mean, I, I'm sorry. We obviously stepped all over Sam's and brought up a bunch of things. So I don't know if there's anything else. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, that I feel means so it's much not worse. Fine. I was gonna say it's one hundred percent not fine. No, it's it's totally cool. Sure. Um, I, <laughs> I'll throw in. Um, yes, please. A comment. Um, so when I initially saw this ending, uh, or the ending of Invisible Man, um, I kept connecting it back to Midsummer, um, and that sort of very powerful exit of, you know, I got the last word and it's not you, um, which, um, while in Midsummer, I deeply appreciated that move and I was extremely glad of her to make that choice. Um, this, while in this case, I am glad that she got her revenge, if you will. Um, I'm also, uh, I guess a little nervous about the, the power trip that occurred for her. Um, and I, I don't know if that's just a, a perspective or if that's sort of a, I don't know if the way that maybe she, her, I, I guess I, it'll come back to, I don't know if it was a warranted power trip in the moment. So my reading of it, and I think she does have a really, uh, creepy look on her face when she's walking off of that like mm-hmm. almost like a changed person but not in a good way yeah. um really quickly it's yeah. not just a creepy look what is mm. the final thing we see before the smash cuts to credits she closes her eyes okay so she is no longer <laughs> i think uh i think the whole you know invisibility and whatnot mm. that that was a literal visual cue of Love is blind, you know, whatever. Like, she's going to be literally turning, tuning that part out uh, uh, on her new path, and it doesn't matter. I guess um, where I was going to go with what we were talking about, about the ending, though, um, and that's why I feel like there's potential for this to come back five, ten years from now, of this idea of her being involved in their universe, if they ever get that off the ground, uh, being the invisible woman... Uh, almost being like a superhero vigilante type, because I feel like there is kind of a connection between her and other vigilante type characters where once they overcome their demons, much like Batman Mm -hmm. of killing their initial thing that did this to them, like they removed the obstacle of what created them. Now, what's next after that? Right. Where, where, where do they go from here? Can they continue to live their lives as they previously did? The answer is almost certainly no. no. So what do they now become? And is their life um, centered around what just took place? Uh-huh. So I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> I just say, I, that's all I got. So I, I, um, I want to give a shout direction. out really quick. Oh, here we go. No, no, just uh-huh. uh, I thought this was one of the best bookended film. We're kind of touching on it right now, mm-hmm. but that, in my opinion, I thought the opening sequence was fantastic, and the 
closing sequence was great, and it's been a while where a movie I thought <laughs> uh, it's been a minute since I've seen a movie that actually I think puts that much thought into its opening and closing. Because while I loved a lot of scenes throughout the movie, um, I will remember the opening uh, getaway for a long time to come, considering how long we stay in that moment. And we don't just let her do it in the span of 30 seconds. We have to... Take our time. Yeah, and anxiously and just exhaustively go through every step of that and whatnot and hope that it goes her way. Uh, And then to the composed, uh, shall we say, actions she has to take uh, in the final scene. And um, it's just a wonderful bookend that totally works. And... um, and I think what works for me for the ending in general is the fact that he never does admit it. And I think mm-hmm. that, I mean, what's great is that he does admit it without realizing he does as far as he says the word surprise. And that's the, yeah. that's the true vocal cue just to make sure that it, you know, rings in her head that this yeah. is what happened. Um, but the fact, and I, I just think that's A, so unfortunately true to life, and B, very important to, to depict, which mm-hmm. is that... Um, what would that have said about her had he admitted it? And then she was like, excuse me, I need to go take care of something. Yeah. And then like came back and did it again, you know, whatever, which I think we have seen movies where that kind of happens. Like mm-hmm. I finally got the tables turned and then like, but then the revenge part of it is not thought out. But since I guess that's where I have kind of a crossroads on that exact idea. Like if he, and I'm assuming she thought he would never admit it. But if he did just say, oh, you got me, I mean, do the police just come in and arrest him? Right. Oh, no, I think she went there to kill him no matter no, what. I, I, oh, okay, but her, but her that's what friend I lo- is listening in. Is, is right. that, like he's under, the, he's under the belief that she's trying to coax a, a confession out of him, right? But I so don't what, think what he's he under do? the belief that she's doing that for legal reasons. But actually, oh, I think he, I think really? he is actually. I thought. I, I think his reaction the... at the end of him walking up, like, I don't think he at any point thought he was she was there to murder him. No, I, don't I think... agree with that because I might. I mean, I don't know if it was just me being in the moment. I did not anticipate her solely to go there to kill him. I thought it was more. I'm going there. I'm getting a confession so that way there's a legality of. Why I can officially be so rid I, of this man. I think she went there to kill him because she knew that there was no way yeah. that he would ever confess to it. Absolutely. But at the same time, um, she is, as I said earlier, she's finding ways to take advantage of the situation. Unfortunately, she's kind of taking advantage of her friend, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got him there to have evidence that there was an attempt to have this happen. And then we clearly see that um, he's killed himself. Uh, and then, oh, it was a suicide. Ah, um, And now that's all I don't, recorded. I will so, admit yeah. that for me, the ending only works in my head that I don't think he is suspicious of her on a, like, is she wearing a wire type thing? Like, I don't, or will, Ooh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I don't want to get talking about how <laughs> I know. I don't, I don't, I, and everyone's entitled to your own opinion. Well, thank my, you. well <laughs> me personally, uh, and I'm not trying to say he's so smart, but I'm with the controlling way that he goes. I'm 
in him being just a tech person, I'm guessing he's assuming that by she's the trying. time. But that's the thing. Why wouldn't he check for it? Like wh- he's that good, but yet he's just gonna let Oops. her. But Is he gonna frisk her when she comes in the door. He can rape her. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like where's only, only if she's drugged. unfortunately where's his boundaries? Right. Unfortunately, we've seen that this man has no boundaries to yeah. begin with. But he's now trying to play. No, he's not. And so here's yes, the thing: he is. he's trying to play. He's, no, he made the three different foods for her. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> so I can do DoorDash too. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying he's right. I'm saying no, no, that, I know. That, yeah, but no, but. The way that that scene plays out in my head is mm-hmm. that I genuinely think what's creepy about it is that I think she is trying to get him to admit it for an emotional, honest moment between the two of them mm-hmm. to see if it's possible. Not because then, oh, now she's okay gotcha. with it or anything like that, but she needs to see literally how deep the abyss goes mm-hmm. and everything regarding you know her friend, the cop, and the fact that she's wearing a wire is not for her whatsoever, nor do I think he is all that cognizant of it because personally, I think while he is obviously super smart, whatever, he's clearly a narcissist, and I do think at that point he knows that he's won. Like, what can she possibly do? Um, Kill him. And she, he does not believe her capable of yeah. ever overpowering him. But yeah. but he he does believe that the brother's been framed, so he doesn't. He's in the clear on that. He was found almost in a um, not gone, uh, yeah, gone girl type situation where he's now the victim and not yeah. possibly the perpetrator. Yeah, it's just an emotionally charged scene for me. Mm-hmm. If I believe it's genuinely her trying to see how far it goes and not actually trying to get him to confess. And I think personally from his point of view, this that's how uncomfortable that whole scene is, is that so you're doing all this to be with me and you're doing all you know, whatever. So then be with me. Like try it. You know what I mean? Like give me what all I'm asking for because there's no way I can prove it. Uh And that's how weak he is, that even though he has essentially won and whatever, he's nowhere near as powerful as she is, because even in the face of true vulnerability, he can't give her that, because that would be admitting that he is a horrible person. And so if this truly felt to me like this was a sting operation, and that was the point of that scene Mm -hmm. uh, from his eyes and from her eyes... That would just be a pretty weak ending, but I guess I truly thought there was a real emotional battle happening that I thought was essentially how someone can leave an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, charge at them head on and say, okay, you are who you are, I am who I am, I made the choice to be with you, you made horrible, you know, whatever, so can you actually do this like you say you want this you say you want a normal relation you know like let's let's hear it like let's be honest with each other and then failing to do that is just uh you know nothing has changed and that's what's ultimately just sickening and very uh but i also think that really quick uh that her making that choice though is i think fantastic because i actually think it's one of the most uncomfortable endings i've seen 
in a long time in the sense that I don't think that that's a powerful moment. I think that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is in one sense. Right. But also that's... It's a mixed power move. Yeah. It's it's, nothing about that is a clean getaway. Yeah. And even though obviously she'll be okay without him, (laughs) clearly. Very much. (laughs) And she'll be better better off. What was the cost? Yeah. So one thing I'll say before ratings, uh, and this is kind of silly, um, I have a lot of questions about who is taking care of that dog. Uh, is Zeus, no one is living at the same. house. Yeah. All right. But for real, I thought that dog was going to die at some point. And I turned to my boyfriend during the movie and I was like, if the dog dies, we have to leave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because visible man, dead dog. <laughs> I, I am curious about that and sort of the, I assume the, the brother status. was feeding the dog. Okay, well, but the that, house is clearly not occupied, so someone, they're just letting him roam, right. I guess. Well, and that brings up a good point of, I I think, about the relationship between the brother and Adrian. Um, and if the one is in on the other's doing, clearly, uh, to me, yes, it's, yeah. it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but... To, again, to what extent, you know, is the outside world aware or not aware of this? I mean, if you have, like, cars that are always going to this spot around, like, you know, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. to go feed and let out a dog that makes noise. To this estate that has gates that are over a mile away from the residence. Right. Yeah. (laughs) If if it's, like, a one road, like, to get up there and, like, the neighbor at the very end of it is like, man. I see an SUV going up there every day. Like, must be feeding I, Zeus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's why I don't think the death was public. I think it was pretty much everybody thought he was alive, except for, like I said, the closed loop of just convincing or, her or that he was dead. He's not somebody. But why like, do that then? Why create that? Uh, I guess that image just for her. Aren't they supporting him then in his power move? Oh, absolutely. He's completely supporting. And I, I, I think it's slightly ambiguous in the sense that there's either the one possibility, which is what he says to her, which is that he's also manipulated by his brother, which I think is actually the not correct answer, but the probable one because of the fact that he must be if he's pretty much able to just go to that girl's house and decide to do all that and then only to die. Um, and she even says like, oh, wow, he's... He, you set up your own brother and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the general answer is that he's that much under his thumb because I guess the idea too is that he's the smart one and he built this company, whatever, and he's just uh, whatever, probably extremely high up position, but like he's nothing without him and whatnot mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have anything that he has without, you know, whatever. So therefore he owes him and whatnot. So I guess I just, yeah, no, I got the idea that he was either going to be paid to do this or he didn't even need to be paid because just having the life that he's going to continue to have is only possible because of Adrian. So, therefore, which is another form of gaslighting, yeah. you know. And oh, definitely. So, I mean, I just thought he was technically an awful person. Definitely. But also another <laughs> of another victim. Not one you feel sorry for. Right. But one who was susceptible. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, I guess I'll go first. For final ratings, if that's all right with you fine fellows. Not sure. fellows. Fine people. You're not a fellow. Sure. That's fine. You're not, Well, I guess you're a fellow. You're not a fella. Fellows. I don't know. I'm going to stop. Is there a gender to it? 
To fellas, I think yes. Fellows, I don't know. People don't use that word. Uh, this is. I'm just making this. I'm doing this to myself. Friends, Friends. perfect. <laughs> Thank you. So, anyways, um, I'm going to give this a three and a half out of five. So, and I I liked this film quite a bit. In talking through it, I I'm coming to terms more that I, I like this just a little bit more than even I thought when I first uh, saw it in the theater. I think overall this is a really solid movie that has a lot of thought-provoking moments and entertaining moments and scary moments, uh, so it checks a lot of boxes. Um, but it does have some parts of it that I um, just, for me personally, have a hard time with, whether it's the silly suit at some points. Uh, the golf ball suit? Yes. But that, yes, especially when the white paint gets thrown out it it's just a big golf ball face it is yeah um or elizabeth moss and all her bullshit um and she is undoubtedly a fabulous actress um who obviously has had many great roles over the year whether it be on mad men or handmaid's tale or movie like her smell or, or this um imagine if people don't know that that's the name of a movie but mm-hmm. like the way you just said, and her smell. And, and, and her smell, yes. <laughs> so great. Clearly, we're getting As into 4D. someone who has never heard of such a film. I kind of wanted to put that out confused. there because I kind of thought, you know what? <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that that was... That's because you're a good friend. I try. Uh, sometimes. Anyways, so I'm a fan. I think this is really good, and uh, I enjoyed it. And I'm going to stick with three and a half out of five for The Invisible Man. Sure, I'll go. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give this a two and a half um, just because I had a lot more questions going into this. And while I understand that ambiguity is a great thing um, and it can certainly be used very well in certain circumstances, um, I feel like we could have used a little bit more um, for just making sure that the that. I guess, if you will, the drama of it all is very um, grounded um, and is not that there's nothing to not believe in this. There's a lot of thought provoking and a lot of conversation to be had about this piece that definitely marries current situations for for women in general, as well as for um, women in abusive relationships um, and just sort of that, you know, cutting ties and and things like that um and there's there's a lot to i think there's a lot of gray um within it um that i think some parts could have been better molded other parts could have been you know maybe a a little less focused on um and i very much appreciated the the moments to take um of just looking at a scene um like i keep thinking about that kitchen scene of the flames going and being turned higher uh, there's something very beautiful about that um it's fun to do <laughs> um but things like that of seeing just um of taking time for some of those beats um and i did em- enjoy the performances i think that they were they were well done um, I don't think that anything was extremely cheesy about the performances, which I was a little nervous um, going in thinking that this is um, a sci-fi horror film, that there's the chance that it could be a little hokey. 
Um, but I think everyone did a, a very nice job of setting the stage. Um, and I think if relationships had been a little bit more defined, um, initially, or, um, there was a little bit more progression, which I know horror is not noted for having good, the, um, character development typically. Um, but if there was just a little bit more of that, I would have been more on board with it all. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot to this film. Um, and I think for, um, as, as much as I enjoyed it, there were those moments that really kind of brought it back down. Um, like I had mentioned, there's a lot of ups and downs within the film for me. Um, so that's pretty much why it's the two and a half of uh, there's, there's things I'm okay with and things I'm, I'm not okay with. Hmm. Um, I do have to say as like a final remark about it though, is that perhaps some of the reason why I'm not okay with certain parts is because I feel it very viscerally Mm. of certain, um, I guess actions taken against her. Um, and it, because they are disgusting while you're supposed to be uncomfortable and that's supposed to be great, even though you're uncomfortable, it's almost a, I'm uncomfortable and I know you're making me uncomfortable, but I'm uncomfortable knowing that you made me uncomfortable. Um, and that's that sort of, you know, meta perspective, um, which is cool on the outside, but in the moment you can also kind of be a little to, to what extent and why were you making it to that, um, that level? Um, so overall, um, not an awful film, but I am content with seeing it once. Very good. Bit of a mixed bag. Yep. Right on. <laughs> Nicholas? Yeah. I I thought this was pretty good for my own taste. I am going to give it three and a half out of five. I'm kind of leaning toward an even higher rating, but I do think that it's mm. kind of settled <laughs> in at, at three and a half, mostly because kind of what I said earlier in the sense that I feel like I'm only getting more and more invested in Lee Winnell as a director uh, the more time passes because he really has grown, and I feel like there's even more growth to be had, um, and that's kind of where I point at like the hospital scene. And so I can't wait until Lee Winnell has such uh, free reign in his creativity that he gets to make all the movies he wants to make so he doesn't feel like each one might be his last so to speak and I because I think he shortchanges himself at times um but this is probably the finest thing he's done for me personally well it is sorry to steal your thunder a little bit but I will say for a guy whose career really started I mean at, at all but especially in the public view being the co-director of the original Saw, or the, the writer. co-writer, yeah. part, sorry, the co-writer of the original Saw with someone whose career really took off much more than his did oh, yeah. in James Wan. Um, you know, he he's really, this is a recent phenomenon of him yeah. becoming That's... a person uh, who's prominently doing films and doing good films. Um, and it's it's been nice. It has, and I think that's probably because, at least from a very outside perspective, I feel like he took a lot longer to figure out what he's good at. For example, he fashioned Not himself and as an actor. <laughs> like in the original Saw movie, I love all the Saw movies. Well, I don't love them all, but I love them all. 
Uh, but like in the very first Saw movie, which is great, he's a horrible actor. Like that's just a bad performance. <laughs> he's 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 Leonel playing a horrible actor. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And um, uh, he's also in another movie that I think he co-wrote, too, called Cooties. And he was the most Ooh. annoying character in that movie. Mm. It was a horror On comedy. Purpose? No. Okay. I mean, I guess maybe in the in the sense that, like, there's always, like, a doofy whatever, but it just wasn't funny. Oh. And um, that movie was half-baked, and I felt like that was, once again, I'm like, you know, maybe fits because he also either wrote or co-wrote that script. I'm like, maybe spend a little less time thinking you're okay at this because you're not and just getting back to your drafts and, and, you know, writing those out and whatnot. So, yeah, from this newer progression of, uh, I haven't seen the Insidious film, but from that, which I've actually heard that's a fun franchise for anyone who really loves horror, mm-hmm. uh, to upgrade to this. Like, I just think he's only getting more and more uh, confident as a director and, the fact that he didn't Tarantino himself into this movie where he randomly <laughs> popped up, uh, I was very thankful for. So I think he's starting to truly calibrate. Got a little uh, dynamite. <laughs> a little dynamite for you guys. Uh, I, I think he's really coming into his own, and I'm so happy to see it. So, uh, yeah, three and a half out of five for me. Right on. Uh, if anyone out there has any thoughts on uh, this little film called The Indivisible Man, or on the uh, the original Universal Monster film, uh, just to get a different perspective, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find all our episodes on filmtankshow.com or also Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, any of those places you can find our podcasts. Do you want to do the contagion episode or do you want to just hang out watch a movie go get some beer chill out oh yeah i mean i definitely can't do both so i can do one or the other so that's up to you so would you be down to do that instead and we can just skip doing the contagion episode and maybe with me do it another time down the road yeah okay cool so actually uh on our next episode Sam will be joining us again. <laughs> hey. To talk about another. This time I'll let her speak. Yay. <laughs> to talk about another new film that originally was scheduled to come out in 2019, but is now obviously a 2020 release. And that is a film that we've talked about previously on this podcast on a couple of times at length, actually, which is The Hunt, uh, which is finally being released coming up here in the middle of March. And uh, we're going to do an episode on it, and um, looking forward to it. Same. Oh yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts, and I haven't even seen the movie yet. So, and I, I think, well, aren't you a Republican? Um, just from seeing the trailer, I who knows how the actual film is going to be, um, but I definitely get a ready or not kind of vibe from the trailer. So maybe it'll be somewhat different than that. And I didn't think that movie was great. But I also was very entertained watching it, so I'm I'm looking forward to that kind of entertainment from this film. Who knows if we'll get it or not, but I have a feeling we will. I'm super pumped for it because it's written by Damon Lindelof and directed by Craig Zobel, uh, two people who worked on The Leftovers. It's and written by Damon Lindelof? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. It may have been co-written, but he, I mean, it's definitely partly his. We've talked about it, but that guy's on a fucking roll right he now. He is. So. Um, but even Craig Zobel's last, or I guess I should say his directorial debut as a movie, I 
absolutely love that makes a lot of people uncomfortable called Compliance. Mm. Uh, and so if this movie it doesn't look to be as stark as that, but to be definitely as uh, pointed, uh, mm. so to speak, uh, I, I can't wait. Well, something to fo- look forward to coming up uh, on our next episode, which will be 123. Not a palindrome. No. As always, womp, womp. 223. I think I said 123. 223. Uh, Not the right number. <laughs> Thanks. I like how I was more concerned with the fact that no. I wasn't a palindrome than I was about you getting it right. Yeah, well, thank you. So, as always, thank you very much, Sam, for joining us. Sorry for talking over you. It's all right. I'll still it's be It's not back. all right. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. And we're on the next episode, so that's good. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, thanks again to Sam and from Sam, Nick, and myself, Alex. Thank you very much to you out there for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time.